Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank, a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Joining us on this Saturday afternoon. Oh, you're taking, most welcome. Taking time away from your families. <laughs> well, every day is like a Saturday now, isn't it, really? <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, is every day like a Monday? <laughs> Just feels the same to me. Alhamdulillah. So, those of you who don't know, Mufti Faraz Adam is the, in my view, preeminent Mufti in, in relation to Islamic finance, Alhamdulillah, in the UK today. He's the man who we go to personally for Tawa, or in Mohsin Patel's case, Mohsin is my co-founder in Islamic Finance Guru, when he's trying to wheedle a fatwa that perhaps should be given out of someone, he tries to rise his luck with Mufti Faraz. But Mufti Faraz is, alhamdulillah, he, he's got all the traditional qualifications, and he's then done, done an iftar course with Mufti Desai, the very famous Mufti Desai in South Africa, very, very rigorous program that I believe Muthi Sab, you finished quicker than everyone else. And then you also did a graduate degree in the UK. You studied from a conventional perspective as well, which I think is really important, actually. I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I think it's so vital to have that combination. And I, and I feel like there's very few people these days who think in that way, perhaps. I totally agree. I mean, if you study the Islamic knowledge and the classical knowledge, you have to top that up with industry knowledge. Without that, you cannot apply the knowledge that you've gained in the 10 years of Islamic studies that you've done, really. Yeah, I agree. Mufisab, so as a taster to all of you guys, what's the hottest thing that we're going to talk about today? Masala that we're going to touch upon. So today we're touching upon so many different jobs, whether you're working in a bank, whether you're working in the insurance sector, whether you're working in the supermarket, whether you are going door to door and selling products on behalf of another company, right? Or you're just somebody who works in curries or these kind of shops and you have to offer finance. At that moment in time, what's your duty as a Muslim? Are you allowed to do it? Are you not allowed to do it? Where do you fall? So I think these are the kind of issues which we should be reading out and discussing and addressing, inshallah, today. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, guys, Jazakallah for joining. It's an absolute pleasure to have all of you on. I am Ibrahim Khan, as my name tag suggests, from Islamic Finance Guru. and. Alhamdulillah, I wanted to give you a bit of a background as to why we're holding this Islamic Finance Masterclass. 
So the idea behind this, I actually quit my corporate job as I was a corporate lawyer until a couple of months ago. And I packed that in to go full-time in Islamic finance guru. And one of the things that I pledged to myself when I did that was I want to continue my Islamic finance learning throughout the rest of my life, inshallah, but particularly in the next few years, because I feel it's so, so important for anyone who's working in the industry, but also, frankly, any Muslim who's working in the corporate sector or anyone who's involved in business in any way, shape or form, to have a really good grasp of fiqh or ma'amalat and transactional stuff and everything to do with the economy and finance and Islamic law. I was very selfish and also very lucky because I've been in this space for a while. I have a few people that I can turn to. And I said to Mufti Faraz that this is something that I want to study. And as the first kind of course that we wanted to do and the first kind of subjects that I wanted to touch upon myself, I looked down all of the different queries that we get at Islamic Finance Guru from people. And three really stood out. One was, is my job haram or halal? We get so many of those queries. The other query that we regularly get is around what should I do in terms of my career and Islamic finance and what should I study if I want to get ahead of it within Islamic finance or best? what do you recommend? And then finally, we get a lot of queries around the fiqh of halal investing. Is this halal? Is that haram? Can I invest in bonds? Can I invest in bonds like this or that, etc.? And so those are the three subjects that we've decided to run in this free webinar, inshallah, free series. Muftifar is going to take us through. And my role in all of this will be hopefully relatively little. Muftifaraz will be doing all of the heavy lifting from the fifth and the teaching perspective. But I will be the people's champion, as I say. I'll be coming in with Mufti to the academic, or you say anything in Arabic which is anything other than like Allah Akbar and SubhanAllah, then I'll step in and I'll kind of try and infuse the discussion in that point with something more commercial and practical and that sort of thing. And any questions that I might have, I'll throw them out as well. And I'll be picking up questions that are coming from the audience as well, inshallah. And then in terms of how this course is actually going to run, inshallah, we're going to do three sessions today and then next week and the week after, about an hour to two hours, depending on how many questions we get. And the idea behind this is that then we'll have a bit of a wrap-up session at the end where I'll come in as well a little bit. And then we'll have Q&A. And we really want people to send in their questions as they come to you. And then we'll pick them up either live. So, Mufisab, if you see the questions coming in in the chat, then feel free to respond to them. But otherwise, we'll pick them up in the Q&A. So, without further ado, I will now disappear off the screen. You will be maybe pleased to know. And I will add in the presentation itself that we'll be going through. Is my job haram or halal? And can I leave you in the very capable hands of Mufti Faraz? Over to you, Mufti Saab. Jazakallah khair. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahabi ajmain amma ba'd. Respected brothers and sisters, friends, elders, teachers, and colleagues, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you today and discuss this subject. So there's a lot to go through, but inshallah, the way I like to talk about these kind of things is I want to empower you and I want you to be able to leave these two hours that you are equipped enough to use your own intuition and begin to reach your own conclusions to some degree before finally checking with a scholar. I want to empower you in that way. So the idea is to really break it down, have it 
structured in a way which you can then digest. If you don't understand something, by all means, ask while some lecturing, while some teaching, while some talking. And hopefully by the end, you should have a solid picture on this whole idea of what is halal, what is haram in terms of jobs, in terms of contracts, in terms of being a contractor, an employee. I think the most important thing is why is this important? Why are we talking about this whole topic of employment, whether it's halal or haram? And that's really important to understand before even going into the fiqh of it, because fiqh is, you could say, one aspect, but as a framework, as a Muslim, what is our concern here? What's our kind of worldview? Why is this an issue to us? That's the real thing to discuss first. Why is it an issue to us? Because we know that a person whose income is not lawful, right? It's unlawful, then there's some issue with that, right? He will be accountable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the income is unlawful. So that's why there's a sense of accountability, there's an issue with that. But seeking livelihood, seeking wealth, seeking money, right? Getting a job, this is encouraged in Islam. Islam encourages us to work. Islam encourages us to work. That's why in the Quran, you'll see a number of times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encourages us. That's why in Surah Al-Jumu'ah, it's mentioned, Allah tells us that when the Jumu'ah Salah is over, spread, disperse yourselves in the land and seek from the bounties of Allah. Min the fadl, the bounties, the blessings is Allah's wealth, the wealth that He's created. This is fadl. And so this, we have this whole notion amongst people that money, wealth is a bad thing. No, it's not. From a Quranic narrative, having money, having wealth, this is a good thing. This is probably one of the greatest blessings. Allah describes wealth and money as a qiyam, meaning that it's really the support and it upholds the entire system. That's what Allah tells in the Quran, that money is a thing that keeps the entire thing moving. So it's a massive blessing. Having wealth and then we learn from another hadith that the Messenger of Allah said that you can't envy any person except for two. One, one of those two people are that the one who's been given wealth and he spends it in the path of Allah. He spends it in good causes, in charitable causes. So having wealth in and of itself is a huge blessing. And then using it for good actions, good causes, spending upon yourself and family, looking after the people around you, it's sadaqah. It's also rewarding. The Quran also makes references to, for example, in the second juz, Allah talks about the people going for hajj. People felt that, oh, because it's a hajj time, they cannot trade. Maybe it's bad to trade because we've come for hajj. It's an act of worship. How can we trade here? So Allah reveals the verse, That there's no problem, there's no harm, there's nothing wrong with you seeking the bounties of Allah. Right? So the first verse talked about Jumu'ah and Allah talked about seeking the blessings of Allah, the fadl of Allah, going out and working, earning money. This is talking about Hajj, another worship. Again, Allah connects the discussion of seeking wealth, meaning these things are part and parcel. Allah doesn't distinguish between seeking wealth and worship in a sense that seeking wealth is something completely remote from Islam and the Quranic narrative. It's not. Rather, these are part and parcel of life. So you do your worship, you go seek Allah's fadl, you come back again. That's why Allah praises, Allah praises those people who are involved in trade, business, jobs, earnings, yet they are still mindful of Allah. This is why you call a complete believer, a complete Muslim, who works hard to earn. And that's why the hadith tells us, Imam Bayhaqi narrates this, that going to seek or seeking wealth 
and livelihood is also an obligation after the other obligations, meaning it's also ranked highly in Islam. That's why Sayyidina Umar, he mentioned was, he said, don't sit all right, and raise your hands to the sky and say, Allah marzuqni, that Allah grant me your sustenance. Because he said, you know, you know the sky does not rain down with gold and silver. That's what he said. He told the people, don't just sit there praying to Allah for wealth. Rather, go out there, seek a livelihood, go earn. So it's Islam is a beautiful system. Islam is very logical, it's very rational. Meaning, the more you study Islam, you begin to realize that everything in Islam, it makes sense. Honestly, everything makes sense. And it's just such a balanced way of life. It's so complete in every aspect. And the more we talk about financial dealings, you begin to understand how Islam addresses even the most complex. Islam has an answer for it. Not only that, it shows guidance. It shows you a way out in everything. That's why the Quran is guidance. When you talk about the Quran being guidance, what do we mean? That the entire Quran has principles, has universal principles which apply to various scenarios, wherever you may be, whether it's societal issues, economic issues, political issues, the Quran has guidance in there, right? Whether that guidance comes from the stories of prophets, whether it comes from a command of Allah, whether it comes even from one word, which scholars are deducing a ruling. But the Quran is full of treasures and full of guidance. So seeking livelihood, having a job is something which is encouraged in Islam. If you're a person who has dependents, you should go out there and look after them, work for them. This is also come to the faridah. And we know from the life of the Messenger of Allah, he himself would go and also seek livelihood. So the Sahaba, this is a practice which has come from the earliest generations. But then the question is, we go to the next slide. I touched upon this earlier, that why is it so important to have halal livelihood? And this really, this hadith in Muslim, encapsulates that entire idea that why is it important to have halal income? What are the ramifications of impure income or haram income or unlawful earnings? The ramifications are, imagine this person, the Messenger of Allah, he narrates this hadith, the state of a person who he's traveled, he's got disheveled hair, he's traveled for long, he's in a desert in the wilderness. Any person who looks at him will feel pity for him. You'll feel sorry for him your heart will reach out to him because look at his state, he's disheveled. He's not seen anybody for so long. He's been traveling constantly in the heat. And in this pitiful state, he raises his hands, just like this person in this picture, he raises his hands to the heavens. And he's saying, Ya Rabbi, Ya Rabbi. Like he's saying probably the words which are most appealing to Allah because the word Rabbana, Rabbi is mentioned in the Quran. So he's using these words to call upon, plead to Allah for mercy. But the Messenger of Allah says that He's doing this in the state, but what's his situation? What's his scenario? His clothes are sourced from haram. His food is haram. His clothing is haram. Then the Messenger of Allah says, haram. He's been nourished with haram as well. How can his dua be ever accepted? How can you expect such a person? Or how can he himself expect Allah to respond to him? When everything within him, his earnings, his nourishment, his clothing is sourced from haram. It's directly against the commands of Allah. And so you go to Allah when you have a need, but then besides that, you don't care about Allah at all in any other aspect of your life. So this is really powerful right, if we think about it. And from here, I just want to really touch upon one thing which I always advise many people, and this is really relevant for most of us, is if you have a pension, make sure it's halal. Because like from my own experience, many Muslims have pensions which are not Sharia compliant. 
And that's a major problem. Why is that a major problem? Is because imagine you're contributing to your pension, you retire, they just say 65 to say, and you start drawing down in your pension. Your pension was invested in an insurer compliant portfolio. So it was invested just in fixed income and bonds. And now you've retired. Now from 65 to 75, you live. These are the last years of your life, which is really the golden years, because these are the final years, the make or break years for you. But that's a time when now your income is being drawn from a non-Sharia compliant pension. So all the proceeds over and above the capital is impure, unlawful. And that's what you're using now. So your last 10 years have been nourished with unlawful wealth. And now think about how severe that is, that you leave this world being nourished from unlawful wealth. It's a massive issue amongst Muslims who are unaware about pensions altogether. So it's really important that you speak to your financial advisor, speak to your HR department and start thinking about Sharia compliant pensions. I know on the Islamic Finance Guru website, there's a lot written about this. So I'd encourage you to go on the website also and read about Sharia compliant pensions. An article was released recently about SIPs, how to manage your own Sharia compliant SIP. Ibrahim, you want to come in? Yeah, I just wanted to say this is one of my hat agendas because a lot of mainstream employers may not have an Islamic pension available. So if that is the case, then, and you probably talk to your HR and try your best to get an Islamic pension option in there. But if it's not available, then reach out to me, drop me a line, Ibrahim at IslamicFinanceGuru.com. And I've liaised with a bunch of employers now in background, and I'll let him liaise with yours as well. And I'm actually looking to get a perfect test case to take to court as well. So please do let me know. So that's really just a preamble and a preface to this whole discussion and the importance. One is Islam encourages us to work. That's like the beauty of Islam. Rather, you're rewarded for working. In Islam, we're rewarded for going out and work. So imagine you leave 7 o'clock when you were leaving anyway, your homes to go to work. You'd leave 7 o'clock in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, come back in the evening. That's rewarding. You're being rewarded for those seconds, for those minutes that you are earning because you're fulfilling one of the commands of Allah, and you are providing for your dependents and the people around you. So that's rewarding. And secondly, the importance of earning halal. Now, when we start talking about the fiqh and the rulings of which job is permissible, which job is impermissible, we need to understand, you could say, the underpinning philosophy behind all of this. And let's frame this discussion correctly. When we say something is impermissible, something is unlawful, something is sinful, what do we mean? What do we mean by this? And the reason why I'm saying this is so it's easy for us to conceptualize as a group here. What are we talking about, right? But when we're saying something is sinful, what we're saying in reality is it's illegal. Because Sharia, remember, Sharia is a code of law. Sharia is law. So scholars, muftis, are Islamic lawyers. And that's why it always find that if I have a discussion like with Ibrahim or any lawyer, corporate lawyer, anybody, we're on the same wavelength. They understand the technicalities. As I speak, they, they've understood most of the thing because legal systems work in a similar way. Most of the time, the objective is the same as well, is to establish justice in one way or another. But legal systems have similar processes. Lawyers, scholars, muftis, they all have a similar way of reasoning. Yes, the epistemology and all that might be slightly different, but many of the processes are very similar. There's overlaps in many areas. There's parallels. So... When we're talking about Sharia, when we're talking about sinful, impermissible, think of it from this angle. We're talking about something illegal and legal. So from a Sharia perspective, is this legal or is this illegal? Why does that help? That helps you in understanding 
that whole discussion because a job from a Sharia's perspective can be illegal, right? So it's just the same as, as we say today, that money laundering is illegal. So doing certain jobs from a Sharia perspective, which are sinful, that's illegal in the Sharia. So this will help you kind of understand because when we say sinful, sinful, it's something abstract for us. It's hard for many of us to digest what that means. It's hard for us to really comprehend when we say something is sinful. But up here, if we use this word legal, illegal, it will help us, right? And the entire Sharia is there to establish benefit and prevent harm. That's Ibn Taymiyyah, I mentioned this, that Sharia was revealed to establish benefit for people and for public good and for public interest. That's what Sharia was revealed for. And it was revealed to eliminate that which is harmful. Everything which is beneficial is legal, is permissible. Everything which is harmful is illegal, is sinful, is impermissible. So anything which is harmful, you'll find that Sharia has classed it as some kind of sinful activity. Either it's discouraged, disliked, makruh, or if it's really harmful, it'll become haram, unlawful, completely prohibited, meaning it's illegal, right? So legal, illegal from a Sharia perspective are based upon what's beneficial, what's harmful. That's what it's based upon. The more beneficial something is, the more recommended it is. So the, what can be the most beneficial? Something which is, for example, it'll benefit you definitely in the Akhirah and it'll be your entry into Jannah, that'll be fard, it'll be compulsory. Something which will benefit you in this world, but might not benefit you completely in the hereafter, but you'll get a reward for it. It could be mustahab, it could be sunnah. Things like eating practices, there's many, many sunnah that I mentioned there. Things which are harmful for you in this world and definitely harmful in the akhirah, then that could be towards the other side of the spectrum being haram or severely disliked. So this legal, illegal ways, it's a good way to appreciate and understand this whole notion of what is sinful, what is not sinful. Because when we say something is impermissible, people cannot relate to it very easily. So that's just really, you could say, just introduction to this whole discussion. If we move on to the next slide, which is now going further into detail. When we say something is illegal from a Sharia perspective, that some work is illegal, is impermissible. Which kind of work is that? So illegal work from a Sharia perspective are those where you are actually doing sin in your work, your job description. Your job description, your scope of work or your job role is sinful. For example, you are a hitman. You are an assassin. So you've been hired to go and murder. That job in and of itself is illegal. Not only is it illegal from a English law sense, it's also illegal in Sharia because the service that you're providing is illegal. And remember, to understand from an Islamic perspective or even from a contract law perspective, what you're doing in a job when you're being paid, you are delivering service. You are delivering service. So somebody's paying you and your job is to deliver something in return. So whatever you deliver in return, that's the subject matter of this contract, of this employment. That subject matter has to be Sharia compliant. It has to be recognized by Sharia. So because the service you're delivering, the deliverable here, is completely unlawful, is impermissible, which is murder. That's why it's not permissible. This contract is completely void. It's unrecognized. It has no legal effect from a Sharia perspective because you cannot deliver this. A Muslim is not permitted to deliver something which is illegal. And therefore you cannot be paid in lieu of it. So if a person does go and murder somebody, he will have no right or recourse to any kind of wage or salary because the thing that he's tried to deliver, he didn't deliver anything because this killing or murder, this service, was unrecognized as a valid service. And so this idea of delivering a service goes in all our discussions and this will keep coming up. 
This is how even lawyers appear, all the lawyers who are part of this live stream, you'll understand this straight away. How we talk about consideration, how we talk about subject matter being there, payment being there, these are, like you say, core tenets of a contract. So the service that you're giving has to be lawful. Another example, a burglar, just say you're hired to become a burglar, somebody hires you and says, I'll pay you £500 a week if you go and do a burglary somewhere here and there. Now again, because stealing in and of itself is a non-Sharia compliant job. It's not halal, it's illegal from a Sharia perspective, or also illegal from an English law perspective. And this is where the overlap comes, I was telling you about earlier. Many things overlap. And so therefore, because I can't deliver burglary to the person, I can't be paid, it's unlawful, it's impermissible. Another example is cosmetic surgeries. I, for example, well, not me, just somebody who delivers cosmetic surgery for beautification purposes. So you get the enlargements and the lifts and all the different things that they do in those kind of clinics, which are purely for beautification and the form of mutilation. That will not be permitted. So the job or the service that person is doing and delivering, because that service is not recognized in Islam, from a Sharia perspective, it's not recognized at all. It has no value. Something which is not recognized has no value in Sharia. If he has no value, how can you be compensated for something it has no value to? And that's the key from a contract law perspective, from an ijara perspective. Ijara is employment in our discussion here. So from an ijara sharia perspective, which is employment, you cannot deliver something which has no value because ijara, an employment contract, is a contract of exchange where one party gives something of value, a service of value, and the other party gives a wage or salary in return for that service that's been provided. So this cosmetic surgery, whoever it may be, delivers this because it's something which has no value. It's not recognized in Sharia. They cannot be paid. That job, because they've done their service in and of itself, is illegal. Therefore, it's sinful. It's not permissible to do that as well. Another example is tattoo. There's a tattooer or somebody who puts tattoos upon people. Even that is not Sharia compliant. And therefore, again, that job, that specific job, is impermissible to do because the service in and of itself is illegal in Sharia. It's impermissible. Likewise, straightforward examples, carving statues. If you have a job where you're carving statues, and these are extreme scenarios, right? So just to make you understand, these are like completely our illegal things from a Sharia perspective. Likewise, the working in the adult industry, that's also completely prohibited. So these are where the scope of work is in and of itself is completely prohibited. The deliverable that's on your JD or in your scope of work, it's prohibited. That is not Sharia compliant. So this kind of job can never be permitted. You can never earn in these roles because what you're delivering, what you're doing is not recognized in Sharia at all. Rather, it's illegal. And for that, you cannot even receive a wage at all. Rather, the contract itself is void and you have no right to any income from that job. That's obviously a very simple kind of job description where you're a tattooist. But even there, and most job descriptions are quite complex things. They've got yeah. lots of going on like the tattooist says well actually i'm part cleaner i'm part like admin i'm part pa i'm like all these things how do you deal with that yeah it's a good question i was going to come to this right it's literally what i'm going to come to now right see how i tackle this is if your job title is something which is unlawful like your core right your core activity then regardless of all the other sub deliverables you cannot go in that area because your core role is decided by your job role However, if it's like a multi-purpose role that you're doing, where your job title is broader than the impermissible activity you're doing, which we'll touch upon later on about lawyers, right? Corporate lawyers who are doing multiple things. 
So this kind of idea where you're doing multiple things, your job title in and of itself is broad, then although I've not heard other scholars say this, but where I incline towards and what I advise and my kind of feeling to this is that a person can potentially do this job, but then they must take stock of the time spent in doing unlawful activity and purify that amount. So if I spend one hour a day in unlawful services, because look, the scholars classically, when they spoke about unlawful jobs, they would speak about one service only. It was very specific. So for example, scholars speak about carving statues. There's only one job. Today, many JDs, they don't work like that. Right? We yeah. know scope of work is multiple scopes of work. You'll be doing multiple things. So the way I usually deal with this is, I first look at the job role. What is your actual job role? If it's, for example, you're working, we will touch about banks, but if it's just in our, you are the actual practitioner who does the tattoos itself. That's your main job, right? Then the others are just add-ons. You'll recognize as that that's your kind of job role. Then I would say avoid that job altogether because that's the core service that you're delivering. However, yeah. if it's a more generic role, whereby you're doing a bit of this, a bit of that, and there's lawful activities, even in that you'd say majority are lawful, the majority should be lawful, but there's one thing here and there which is impermissible maybe or yeah. you know, dislike or discourage. Then in that scenario, because your job is split or the income that you're receiving is split across all these services that you're providing. So for the services which were halal, your income will be halal. But for the services which were unlawful, your income will be unlawful. And you should purify that amount. That does put a burden on employee, the individual, to know what's haram and halal, right? Of course. But this is, I mean, that's the furthest we could go. Otherwise, I'm sure many of the scholars would say this would be impermissible as well. Yeah. I'm just looking at the reality where many people work in roles. I mean, it's not simple as having one role. Nobody has that anymore. It's very hard to find a contract where you just have one scope of work. And if that's the case, you're only doing one thing, which is completely haram, then obviously you wouldn't work there. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, just going on that. So I was just about to touch upon this scenario where when we touch upon this whole idea of these deliverables, so where it's only one deliverable and it's completely unlawful, it can only be used in a haram way. For example, you're an IT developer and you make something which can only be used in an unlawful way. There's no other way to use that, but in an unlawful way. You design unlawful things, right? That's your job. So even that would fall up, up in here, that would not be permissible because what you're designing is specifically made for this. It's not a multi-purpose software. Rather, it's designed to deliver impermissible stuff or is designed to facilitate impermissible activities, right? Without this, the entire system wouldn't work or not even the system, the facility or the impermissible transaction wouldn't occur, right? So if you're doing something which is so integral, so material, so significant that it's counted as a part and parcel of the process of the transaction, then that would not be permissible. But these are, I'm just giving you ideas here before we go further into the discussion and break it down even further. Point number two, which is making a worship a means of income. Illegal from a Sharia perspective are two. One is the scope of work itself is sinful. What you're delivering is sinful. All the examples we just discussed right now. Then another angle that the scholars and Jews mention, the classical scholars, they mention is worship. Why is worship impermissible as a job? Because that's a contract between you and Allah. That's a contract between you and God. Why am I saying contract? Because Allah himself uses contractual language in the Quran. Like, The word mithaq, mithaq means a covenant. Whoever looks at contracts will see covenants there. Right? So Allah uses that contractual language when it comes to 
worship as well. Right? So Allah uses what contractual language. We have a contract with Allah. We worship, Allah would reward us. Although it's not a contract in the sense that we have, but it's still an engagement that you have, an agreement you have. You've put your word to something and you'll be rewarded for that. So I cannot go and seek the reward of my worship from people because it's not servicing them at all. I'm not servicing Allah, of course not. But it's this is for Allah, this worship, meaning I've agreed to do this for the sake of Allah and he'll reward me. So I cannot go and seek reward from other people. And also from a more technical perspective, a worship is not something you can deliver to people. Remember, we discussed this idea of the deliverable being a recognized service which can be delivered to people. A worship cannot be delivered to other people. It's completely abstract in a sense. It has no value to people. The value is only between yourself and Allah. And an example of this is Hajj. People go for Hajj and they do Hajj Badal, which is when you go for Hajj on behalf of somebody else. And if I start that as a business, I start charging people like two, three thousand pounds for this as a business. I do Hajj on behalf of other people and I charge a fee. That will be permitted. Yes, what I can do though is make them pay for my expenses. Expenses can be covered, but I cannot profit from that endeavor. So that really just sums up our discussion of what's illegal and permissible. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.